Like, I am either married to my sin. I am either married to my porneia, my fornication, married to my idolatry, married to my adultery, married to my effeminacy, married to my homosexuality, married to my thievery, married to my covetousness, married to my drunkenness, married to my reviling, or married to my swindling. I am either married to my sin or I am married to Christ in spirit. In chapters 5 and 6 so far, we have seen church discipline at play. Uh, Church discipline is to be practiced against those who are living in unrepentant sin uh, within the congregation uh, up to excommunication. Uh, This is not the same as being personally offended. As we saw last week, being personally offended means that we forgive unconditionally, right? When we are personally offended by someone else, if we hold on to our offense, we... We end up actually offending others and causing division within the church, according to the text in 1 Corinthians 6. And Paul has also said that we are not to make a habit of condemning, judging, condemning those who are outside the body, because God will judge them. And this brings us to verses 12 through 20. Paul is addressing the immorality of the church, the the particular lifestyle of immorality that Paul has been getting at is porneia, and the two he has gotten at um, pretty specifically porneia, deserving of church discipline if someone is living in that sort of sin and living as an offended person, taking on the lifestyle of a plaintiff, so to speak. Paul has gotten at those two things. And and he listed several other sins in chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. First, the fornicators, porneia idolatry, uh, worshiping uh, graven images, false gods, adulterers, uh, those who cheat on their spouses, uh, effeminate, the, the effeminization of masculinity God created for his good purposes, uh, homosexuality here, um, thievery, living a lifestyle of a thief, uh, the covetous, those who um, even before the action of taking what belongs to others, or swindling others, those who desire to have what others have rather than being content with what God has given. That can include things or position or status or recognition, anything like that. Um, Drunkards, those who abuse the, the good gifts that God has given. Revilers, those who, well, revile others, if I can use the word in the definition, right? Those, those who think little of others, those who always complain about others or call others evil or swindlers, those who take advantage of others because of their um, covetousness, right? So we need to keep these sinful lifestyles in mind as we continue to work through the text, as we work through verses 12 through 20. Um, We might ask the question, in fact, I have heard the question asked, and I have asked the question, why is that so wrong? (laughs) You see a rule in the Bible, you see a law in the Bible. 
why, why is that particular thing against God's law, whether fornication or idolatry or adultery or effeminization or homosexuality or thievery or covetousness or drunkenness or, or reviling or swindling? Why is, why is that wrong? Uh, it could be even um, because I know when I was trapped in my sin, when I was lost in my sin, that, that made me happy. Um, it made me happy to look at things the Bible said I shouldn't look at, right? That made me happy when I was caught up in that sin. It made me happy to always pick fights and, and argue against others. That made me happy because I could feel superior. Man, I liked to feel superior to others when I was trapped in that kind of sin. What is so wrong with this thing if it makes me happy and then we could we could we could take it to a, a, a further degree right what makes it so wrong if it doesn't hurt anybody else and there are several sins that people are caught up in secret sins or otherwise it makes me happy i was born this way i'm fully who i am this doesn't hurt anybody why would God have a problem with this sin? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Paul, Paul answers as to why in verses 12 through 20. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. This is, this is God's Word. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach for food. Hallelujah. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. In this text, in this passage of Scripture, we see Paul talk about Christian liberty and the abuse of Christian liberty. In this passage of Scripture, Paul tells us the difference between certain kinds of sin. There are certain sins in God's eyes that are more destructive and more not damnable, but but earn a 
a more severe consequence than other sins against the body. And so some sins are, are worse than other sins. And, and a just God recognizes this, realizes this. In, the, in this passage of Scripture, Paul throws out this basic idea that we will see as we walk through the text verse by verse, the basic idea, you are not your own. You belong to God. You do not have the right over your own body. Your body was created from, from, from the moment it was created, was created for God's glory, not yours. And when you come to Christ, you surrender to His glory rather than your own. So there's the big idea. Now we're going to jump in verse 12 and walk through this verse by verse together. Paul begins with Christian liberty. All things are lawful for me. But not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now, Paul has mentioned a few sins, hasn't he? Um, porneia, fornication, idolatry, adultery, effeminization, homosexuality, thievery, theft, uh, covetousness, drunkenness, reviling, and swindling. These sins that Paul has... <laughs> has mentioned, and after mentioning these sins, Paul steps back and says, all things are lawful for me. This is a little, with the pla- I find this placing just a little odd, right? And here's what I think Paul is getting at here, especially since porneia has been in view and since offendedness has been particularly in view. I think that Paul is saying it all of these sins stem from things that are good and are lawful. Things that Christians have liberty to enjoy. So in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God created the marriage relationship. God created human sexuality as a good thing, a gift to be enjoyed and to be used to propagate God's image upon the earth. And God created us in His image. He, he, he gave humanity creative power through the sexual act to reproduce His image upon, upon the earth. And that is a God-glorifying thing. Human sexuality is God-glorifying. But then porneia is like a taking that human sexuality and drawing it to a... a, a to such a degree that it is it is sin. I am taking this sexuality and instead of practicing my my God-given good sexuality in a God-honoring way, in a way that glorifies God, I am going to use it to exalt myself and to pursue my own glory. Such is the sin of fornication and effeminacy and, and homosexuality right, listed in in the list that Paul gave. So all things are lawful. Sexuality is lawful for me. But there are many contexts in which it is not beneficial. And since the other thing Paul has been getting at is this offendedness, this reviling, this, this swindling sort of, sort of nature that, that comes from something God created good within us. There are certain things in the world that we should be angry about. 
There are certain things in the world that, that should hit us in a way that causes us to think, wait a minute, uh, God is a jealous God, and God gets angry about those things that do not honor Him. And I think He is honored when we are angry about the things that do not honor Him, or at least put off by the things that do not honor Him. I think, I think, I think, I think that honors Him. But see, in, in our anger, it's really important for us not, not to sin in that anger. God has given us the ability to discern. He has given us the ability to, to judge in that way, not the authority to condemn, but the ability to discern, to, to judge, to, to test spirits. He's given us that. And that is a good gift. But, but, when, but when drawn to the nth degree, it, it just makes us hateful, condemning, reviling, swindling people. And I seem to read in Scripture that even when we are reviled, we are not to revile in return. And we are to love our enemies. We are to pray for those who persecute us. Right? And so we can, we can recognize when the world doesn't honor God. And we can recognize when a brother or sister is living in sin. But never do we become revilers, revile in return. That's taking something God created good and abusing it. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. God gave the fruit of the earth as a good gift and he gave wine as a good as a good gift and he gave food as an amazing gift but i can abuse all of it i can i can live in drunkenness or i can live in in gluttony god gave us a day of rest as a good thing but but I can, I can live in laziness, right? We, as people, we have this tendency to take what God has given to be good for our benefit and for our enjoyment as lawful and to abuse it. It's, it's not beneficial. to All things are lawful. Not all things are beneficial, profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. God gave time as a good gift for us to use. But if we are mastered by it, it becomes our idol, and we live with time as our master rather than using it as, as a tool to honor God, to, to glorify God with, with our lives, then we, then we live in sin. Paul, then he, he introduces an, an element of rhetoric. This is a, an illustration to help us understand. Food is for the stomach. And the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. And in contrast to this, like God created good gifts for the body. And He created the body for those gifts. To be used in, in moderation, not to be abused, but to be used... Uh, Liberty is, is not license, right? But there is something 
God did not create for the body, and there is something God did not create the body for, and this something is immorality. Look at the second half of verse 13. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Here we get a glimpse into the created order, going back again to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. When God created people, He did not create people for the lusts of their flesh. God, from the very beginning, did not create people primarily to pursue their own desires. That's not why He gave people desires. From the very beginning, and Paul recognizes this as he writes to the church at Corinth, this is like the basic, basic truth of creation, particularly what it means to be created in the image of, of God. This is the basic, this is where anthropology begins, the creation of humankind. And Paul says, God, God created people for himself. And he gave people a physical, material body because, because that's what he wanted for his glory. That is what he willed. That is what he desired. And then he created man and woman complementary helpmates as a, as a picture of who he is and, and our relationship with him in creation and as the church. God created people with, with physical, material flesh to be his complement. And then we read in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God give this command, right? Rule over the earth. Steward the earth. Cultivate the earth. Be my representative rulers within creation. We were designed to be God's complement, to, to complement the work He is, is doing. That is what God created us for. We were not created for immorality. And here the word Paul uses for immorality, very purposeful, is porneia once again. We're not created to pursue the desires of your flesh. Here referring to, to sexual desires, desires of sexuality, and letting those be your boss, being given over to those desires rather than using those desires God gave for a very, a very holy purpose, that purpose being His glory. Did you know human sexuality serves the glory of God? Being this good thing, human sexuality, when practiced in a God-honoring way according to God's design, is sacrificial in nature. It's not meant for me to take care of the needs that I think I have. It's, this is a sacrificial act, the, the giving of oneself to another person within the context of marriage because then there's a commitment there, there's a covenant there. And since this is me giving up of myself in a very particular way to a particular person, this is a picture of God's sacrifice for us. Sex was, was not designed only for our enjoyment or even primarily for our enjoyment. It was designed for God's glory, a picture of sacrifice men this is I think this is why God created us like microwaves maybe you understand that okay 
so that we have the opportunity to sacrifice ourselves for our wives and why women are probably a little bit more like ovens right because that's the sacrifice that's the sacrificial part of of the act okay <laughs> and children you can have your parents explain that to you later all right <laughs> and parents please do because that's important Amen. god created things that way on, on on purpose it doesn't catch them by surprise and and when men want to love their wives and be sacrificial in this act toward their wives, don't stop when the timer goes off. <laughs> God created sex to be a, a very, very good thing. But there are many ways in which it can be abused. This porneia, sexual immorality, Paul is getting at again in the text. The body wasn't created for that. It was created for the Lord. It was created for intimate, spiritual relationship with the Lord because God is spirit, right? And it was created for, for intimate, spiritual relationship with the Lord, God. Even in creation, we don't own our own bodies well, Paul has three tiers to his argument here about why immorality is so immoral. And the first tier here in verses 12 and 13 could be, could be summarized like this. All people are created for the Lord, not immorality. Verse 14. Now, can you handle any more of this passage? Yeah, all right. Verse 14. Now God is not only raised the Lord, talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through His, through His power. This is a promise. There is a resurrection. There will be a, a glorified state, is what we call it. Verse 15, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute here personifying sexual immorality as a prostitute you see the connection there shall i take away the members of christ and make them members of a prostitute may it never be or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her if i marry my desires my sexual preferences, my sexual identity, my sexual orientation, if I marry that, I am one body with that personified sexual immorality. What does that mean? It means I am not one in spirit with Christ. And that's precisely the argument Paul is making, for he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Here, Paul draws a dichotomy between the, the fleshly living, worldly living, living in sin, and living in Christ. And he uses marriage to illustrate this. Like, I am either 
married to my sin. I am either married to my porneo, my fornication, married to my idolatry, married to my adultery, married to my effeminacy, married to my homosexuality, married to my thievery, married to my covetousness, married to my drunkenness, married to my reviling, or married to my swindling. I am either married to my sin or I am married to Christ in spirit. And brothers and sisters, we, we, we cannot have two masters. That's why in the previous passage, Paul equated like constantly living in offendedness and reviling and swindling, like constantly living in that way. That's why, that's why he made that a, a matter of salvation. Because if we are married to that, if that is our lifestyle, we show that we are, we are not in Christ. We are not married to Christ in spirit. Now it is true that we are born into sin. We talk about being created for God's glory. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam sinned against God, broke God's command, and, and through that sin came the curse. So through Adam, the whole earth was, was cursed, and now all people are born into sin, right? We see this explicitly stated in Psalm 58.3. We see the truth about the wretchedness of the human, human heart in this condition, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, we see that we are, we are born into sin. From the moment we come into this world, in sin. But we are not created for sin. Sin does much damage to the body. Sin does much damage to our emotional state. Sin does much damage to our our psyche. When people live in sin, they are unhealthier. That's a reality. I'm not saying across the board. There, there are people who don't live in sin, who just, by some genetic thing, have stuff going on, or because they were exposed to something in childhood. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just talking about general health. Okay? People who... People who live in, in sin do damage to their own bodies. God designed things to be this way. If somebody were to live a perfect life without any sin whatsoever, I'm, I'm convinced that person would live forever without dying. Right? Because what earns sin? I mean, what earns death? Sin. Right? But because we are born in sin, we cannot keep from sinning in this life. But we are promised a resurrection, which is an amazing promise in Scripture. Tier 2 of Paul's argument. Those who are in Christ are one with Him, not their immorality. Those who are in Christ are one with Him, not their immorality. Verse 18. But because we were not created for sin, 
because our bodies, every single body of every single person belongs to the Lord who created that person. Because our bodies belong to the Lord and because when we are in Christ we have denied self, died to self, and submitted ourselves to the law of God that is being written upon our hearts through regeneration, sanctification. Therefore, in verse 18, we see flee immorality. And this is an imperative, like this still takes some work, right? It doesn't just all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden you no longer sin. No, flee immorality. And those who are in Christ will flee immorality, will flee sexual immorality. They won't live in that. I'm not saying won't slip up once. Right? But there will be repentance. Now return to Christ and flee the immorality. And Paul here particularly in view is a sexual immorality, but in the peripherals are, are idolatry and adultery and effeminacy and homosexuality and thievery and covetousness and drunkenness and reviling and swindling. That offendedness that Paul was getting at in the previous passage. Like, if you are in Christ, even if you slip up... And, there's repentance and there's, and there's an, an apology to God and maybe toward, toward others we've offended, right? There is an apology there. A repentance. Even if we don't think we've done anything wrong, there's, there's an apology. A repent, repentance. Why? Because we consider others to be more important than ourselves. So Paul continues, and this starts to get real interesting, if, if it wasn't already interesting. Starts to get more interesting. Every other sin, aside from porneia, sexual immorality, every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man, the porneia man, the one trapped in this sexual immorality, this man sins against his own body. What makes one sin more severe than another? I remember Jesus teaching some crazy things in the Gospels. Do you remember when, when Jesus was, was teaching about Sodom and Gomorrah and he was talking to the Pharisees and he told the Pharisees straight up like, Sodom and Gomorrah, they're going to have things better off in the judgment than you, Pharisees. Like there are degrees of sin and degrees of punishment in hell. And we see, what's up, Levi? And we, and we see here the, the same sort of degrees being drawn. What makes one sin more severe than another? And what makes sexual sin, sexual immorality worse than all the others, right? What makes fornication and homosexuality more severe than idolatry? What makes that more severe than adultery? Well, adultery is probably a sexual sin too, right? What makes it more severe than effeminacy? What makes it more severe than thievery? What makes it more severe than covetousness or drunkenness or reviling or swindling? What makes sexual immorality more severe than those things? There's only, there's only one thing I can figure out. 
This is the, the maximization of selfishness. I think sin is measured by degrees of selfishness. Why would, why would the Pharisees be worse off in the judgment than Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, they heard the gospel and rejected it in favor of their own positions and power and religiosity. Sodom and Gomorrah never heard the gospel. They just received judgment. There's a higher degree of selfishness there. But the church at Corinth, all these guys have heard the gospel. Paul preached the gospel there. The sexual immorality is then the maximization of selfishness. Does the most damage to the body because it is committed inside the body. Because sexual immorality takes a a piece of us and gives it to someone else in a way that does not glorify God. Man sins against his own body. This particular sexual immorality does more damage to the human condition than any other sin. It is no wonder that when we see apostasy today, people leaving Christianity, people leaving the church, it nearly always begins with a sexual indiscretion. Yeah. There's the sexual indiscretion. There's the attempt attempt to justify that sexual indiscretion. And then there is a renouncing of the standard by which that indiscretion is counted sin against the person. No, I can't serve that kind of God. It always begins with sexual indiscretion. Someone cheating on his wife or taking a prostitute or coming out of the closet according to his own identity or desire. Verse 19, or do you not know? Are you unaware that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body if I belonged to myself I could I could puff my reputation up yeah I could care about things like that instead of making God famous I could seek to make myself famous I'm persuaded that if I put my mind to work in the business world, I could, I could make some money. I think I could do that. I think I have that kind of brain. I think I'm put together that way. I'm a logistician according to the Myers-Briggs personality test. If that means anything to you. Okay? But God has not called us to sorted gain, sorted pursuit. He's called somebody, some people to operate in the business world. But if we're doing it for sordid gain, 
we are married to our sin, right? He has called somebody, some people to be, to be really, really intelligent, but not for sordid gain. So they could pour into others. He has called some people to be militant. Martin Luther was one of those. Not at first, but his culture made him. You know. He's called some people to have strong backs. He has called some people to have strong wills. But not for sordid gain. Not for the sake of our own reputations. Right? Not only are we created, our bodies created for God's glory, but those who are in Christ have actually been redeemed, bought with a price, the price of Christ's blood. He died for us. So we are not our own. So we can, when we see the world today, (laughs) and somebody come to me this week, and uh, and I I don't know the full story. Sometimes people mishear things, okay? But this is something that that needs to be addressed, even if it wasn't said, okay? So it was during a Bible study, and somebody said something about the Democratic Party being Satan, supposedly, right? And somebody who was attending that Bible study, who does not normally attend, was really offended by, by that remark. Okay. And there's no, there is no, there is no reason anyone should ever insinuate, especially if we are in, in Christ and we are on a higher plane, no reason that anyone should insinuate that all Democrats are of their father, the devil. Okay. Look, Republicans, Democrats, all sinners. All wretched. Christ is our only hope. No political party will deliver. There's no reason to... That, that really is called reviling, right? Because you identify as a Democrat or a registered with the Democratic Party and spit you out of my mouth. That's reviling. The same is true for Democrats who do that to Republicans. This, this has no place in the church, y'all. Especially if we want to reach our community with the gospel, right? Like, we want people to come to Christ. How's the saying go? You attract more bees with honey than vinegar? (laughs) I mean, cliche, but there's some truth to that. Hey, if we love, and this is, we talked about this last week even, right? Like, if, if we love our Enemies, even those who stand against Christ, we won't be reviling them. Not even Michael reviled Satan, if you remember Peter's letters. He left it to the Lord to do that. And in 1 Corinthians, we are instructed not to condemn those outside the church. So even our enemies, right? Lest we forget that 
we were sinners too. We're no better than anyone. So Democrats want to come into this church and hear the gospel. Let them. (laughs) Yeah? Republicans want to come into this church and hear the gospel. Let them come. Well, we... Independents want to come into this church and hear the gospel. Yes! We are here to make Christ famous, not an elephant or a donkey or anything else, okay? That has no place here at the church at Sunsides. We are a community of grace. And we will address sin and we will reason with the world, but we will not revile and get away with it here. Your body is a, is a temple. You have been bought with a price. I, I cannot say with Lady Gaga, I was born this way. Right? As far as I'm concerned, we were all born kicking and screaming and our parents expected us to grow up. Christ brings us out of the wretchedness we were born. We were born into sin, not for sin. I cannot say with Mr. Elliot that I am fully who I am. Because my desires don't get me there. My self-identity doesn't get me there. The way I, the way I choose to orient doesn't get me there. Why? I was created not for my glory, but God's. And that's the very definition of sin, is pursuing my own glory rather than God's. That's the reason Paul gets at here. Like, that's what sin is. That's why what is immoral according to Scripture is considered to be immoral, because it works against the glory of God and for the glory of self. Now, God is working all things together for His glory. Make no mistake. That's why no sinner will go unpunished, and why no one who marries their sin bears the, the, the mark of sin, the mark of this world. No, no one there will, will, will have eternal life. According to Paul here in 1 Corinthians, I cannot say, and no one can say, I have the right over my own body. The abortion industry, I'm looking at you. Right? We cannot say I have the right over my own body because God owns our bodies. He has the right over our bodies whether or not He will put a child in there or not. It's His right to do so. (laughs) Not our right to take a life that He creates. The same in a marriage relationship. Men do not have a right over their own bodies. And women do not have a right over their own bodies. And God created the marriage relationship, remember, sacrifice to be, to be a picture of humanity's relationship to Him and the church's relationship to Him. If he owns our bodies and our words and our minds and our brains and our reputations. He owns it. Not us. If I do something because it makes me happy and that's the only reason I do it, I am in sin. 
is to be for God's glory. That's what Paul writes in Colossians, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Whatever you do. So Paul's argument here. Three tiers. All people are created for the Lord, not immorality. Those in Christ are one with Him, not their immorality. And those in Christ belong to God, not themselves. And our challenge this morning is simple. Deny self. Take up your cross. Follow Jesus. We are not our own. This is what the Christian signs his life over to. This is a big decision. (laughs) We do not call you to, if you desire to get to heaven and escape hellfire, then please come to the front and pray a prayer. That's not a proper invitation. Proper invitation is Christ is Lord. He is judging the world. You are in sin. Repent and believe the gospel. Receive eternal life. Sign yourself over to Jesus, not yourself. Give your time to Him rather than keeping it for yourself, trying to keep it for yourself. Give your desires to Him rather than trying to keep them for for yourself. Follow hard after Christ instead of expecting Him to chase after after you. He'll come after that one sheep that goes astray. But look, the call on the Christian life, deny self, follow Jesus.